Church Unleashed, it's Church Unleashed Part 2. We're going to the Word of God. In this church, we believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe that the lessons that we teach, that we preach, should be pulled from, should be established by the Word of God. So everything I'm teaching today, we're pulling straight from the text, and we're going to talk about what the Bible says about how we should live, how should we, we should gather, how we should have church, how we should meet, what we should celebrate. Acts chapter 3 has been our text uh, for the series. Acts chapter 3 verse 9 says, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is amazing because he's a lame man who'd been crippled all his life, Peter and John roll up on the scene, and they say this, maybe you remember this from, from weeks ago as we began the series, since silver and gold have I none, but I do got something. What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. The Bible says this man jumped up, he began walking and leaping and praising God. Now we've been clarifying, that's the type of church that we want to be a part of. I'm not into sitting and watching and observing. I'm into walking and leaping and praising God. Some of you are like, I came to the wrong church. That's all right. We got a lot of other churches you can find next week, but as for me and my house, we're going to walk, we're going to leap, and we're going to praise God. Y'all right? I love you. Too soon? I, I, I really believe this. It says in, in the text, it says, they were all filled with wonder and amazement. And I just want to ask this question that we've been asking over and over again. Where, where has the wonder gone? You know, where, where has the amazement gone? Why, why were they all filled with wonder and amazement? I'll tell you why. Is because the man that they passed every day on the way into the city who was crippled all of a sudden was not crippled anymore. And he began to walk and to jump and to praise God. And they said, wait a second, this was impossible. This was in the natural. This couldn't happen. So they began to celebrate, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. I believe this. In 2021, God is longing to restore the wonder and the amazement to the church and to the world. But it's not by better getting a better light, a better band, a better message. It's by a life that was once crippled and lame, all of a sudden walking and jumping and praising God. Life change, friends. Testimony is the power that will fill the city or the church with wonder and amazement. Wonder and amazement. Domesticated, it means this, to bring to the level of ordinary people. God has not called us to be a domesticated church, a tame church, a quiet church, a passive church, a complacent church, an apathetic church. God's called us to be a church unleashed. The, the church in the book of Acts is a church unleashed, domesticated, to bring to the level of ordinary people, a.k.a. my worst nightmare. That's just, I cannot imagine anything worse than just an ordinary church. It does ordinary songs, ordinary messages, ordinary life, over and over, in the rut. You know what a rut is? It's a grave with both ends knocked out. This, uh, just, just, this is what we do. This is where we go to church, out of religious duty, but never experiencing the life 
the vitality, the victory that comes from a church that is completely unleashed. I want you to go now to Acts chapter 19. This is chapters later in the book of Acts. We're going to read a couple verses here. This would be our main text. Acts chapter 19 verse 1. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. This was the city where the church at Ephesus was. This is where Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. He says, there he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, and what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, just listen to this. Paul placed his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Do you ever wonder why we lay hands on people to pray for them? It's not because somebody, some Pentecostals came up with an idea that we should lay hands on. It's because we read it in the Bible. That Paul, when he was praying for and parting to, he would lay his hands on people. And they received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied, knowing no exclusions. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there. For three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. They went on for two years. This went on for two years. So that all the Jews and all the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now listen to this. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. It's wild. Did y'all read what I read? They were taking handkerchiefs. Paul took off his sweatshirt. Can you hold this? And this dude's been sick for years and all of a sudden he's healed. Grandma's sick over in Corinth. Paul takes his handkerchief and says, take this back to Grandma. Just lay this on her. And, and the same handkerchief that, that Paul touched, when it touched her, she became well. I mean, some of us, we, when we read this, we think, man, isn't that cool how the church started? Can I, can I tell you something about Jesus? The Bible says he's the same. Does anybody know the scripture? Yesterday, today, and forever. So if he healed that way then, he, he, he didn't lose power. He, he, he didn't fall off the throne. He, he, he didn't just say, he, he, he didn't stop working after the book of Acts. In fact, he's still working because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In this crazy world, we need an unleashed, untamed, undomesticated church that sees things that cannot be done naturally, done supernaturally, so that the world will stand in amazement at the goodness of God. At the goodness of God. You know, we, we started this series, The Church Unleashed. We talked about the, the phenomenon that, that is the zoo. We take wild animals, right, and we put them in pens, and, and, and now they're safe. Right? We, we domesticate them so that we can watch them. And so now people come and they pay their admission or their tithe or whatever it is, and, and they come and, and they can watch the animals. But the crazy thing is, I, I, I love lions. 
and you go and watch the lions, and, and, and there's no other animals except for lions. I mean, there's no other. You, you don't see, like, other animals running around there with the lions because the lion is the king of the jungle. Right, you put a little kangaroo in there, and that's a kangaroo snack. Uh, that, that, that ain't gonna, they do not coexist well because the lion eats the kangaroo. That's just, that's just how it happens. But when you put lions in an environment where there is no other adversary, the only ones that they have to fight are themselves. When you domesticate a wild animal, the enemy is removed so that they can live in the place of domestication. And if they were to fight, the only thing, person, animal that they could fight is each other. And I think something like this might be happening to the church of Jesus Christ is that we were supposed to be unleashed. We were supposed to be wild. We were supposed to be courageous. We were supposed to be bold. But the world has domesticated us. They've pinned us in. And now the only adversary that we can see to fight is each other. I have never seen more friendly fire in all of my life than right now. Can I help you with something? Methodology is different than theology. And just because a Christian has a different methodology than you, I don't know if you should make them the enemy. Because the Bible says that the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Wouldn't it be better if we put all of our effort and all of our social media influence and all of our brain power and all of our blogging power behind attacking the real enemy? Well, he doesn't preach about sin enough. He preaches about sin too much. Well, he believes in the Holy Ghost. He doesn't believe in the Holy Ghost. He speaks in tongues. He doesn't speak in tongues. He likes loud music. They don't like loud music. They stand. We don't. We meet in person. We meet online. And so on and so forth it goes. There is a difference between majors and minors in theology. There are some major things that we cannot coexist unless we have these major things. And this is one of them. The Bible is the inspired word of God. If we don't start at the Bible, we're playing different games. We are in different universes. We have a different rule set. You can't help me if you don't believe in the word of God. I can't help you. If you don't believe in the word, this is the common ground. It is a non-negotiable. The Bible is the, Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That, friends, is a non-negotiable. Now, if you got a pastor across town that doesn't preach the way that you like, doesn't dress the way that you like, doesn't sound the way that you like, doesn't express themselves the way that you like, doesn't preach about the topics that really get you going the way that you like, but he preaches that the Bible is the word of God and Jesus is the way to salvation, friends, save your breath and attack the enemy. Because while we're defeating each other, the enemy roams like a roaring lion, devouring what I believe, devouring the next generation. 
I want you to know something. The enemy is after your kids. Every great move of God has been started by young people. Every onslaught of the enemy has been against children. He fights us all, but there is a concerted effort against the next generation. Sometimes people come into our church and they want to... There's so many young people. I said, why don't we just praise God right now? Because there's a lot of young people the enemy tried to have, tried to devour, tried to come after that he doesn't have. It sounds like David, doesn't it, in the Psalms? Don't let me pass, God, until I declare your goodness to the next generation. I see our bands worshiping and young people dancing and praising God, and I can't help but get excited about what God is doing. There's no greater joy in my life than to see the next generation catch what we've caught. I'm worried that because of the domestication of the church, we have now been placed in pens where the only enemy we see is each other. And now all of our effort and all of our ministry and all of our anointing is used to try to get other people to think the exact same way that we think instead of to save souls that are dying without Jesus. Friends, that should be our effort. That should be our aim. I know what some people are going to say. Well, who's going to get the heretics? <laughs> you know what? God's really good at exposing sin. He's really good at exposing lies. He's really good at finding people out. I'm, I'm telling you, there is one job I don't want. There's one, I do not want this job. I will do anything before this job. Go and find all the heretics and try to convert them. <laughs> Friends, listen to what I just said. Go and find the heretics. They already believe the wrong way about the truth that you're trying to convince them. Do you know what you really need to do? You need to pray. You need to live. And you need to find lame, crippled people and show them the power of God and let them walk. And then even the heretics will be filled with wonder and amazement at the goodness of God and the power of God and the ability to change a life and to heal a body. No one's ever been argued into. But in fact, the book of Acts is full of people who saw and were amazed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, and he warns us of things to come. Now, I don't know how you grew up or what church you grew up into, but I know some people have been shocked by 2020. Some people already want a return, a refund, an exchange on 2021. But I want you to hear what Paul says. He says, but mark this, write it down, take a note. There will be terrible times... Just, just watching everybody here. Paul goes, hey, uh, Timothy, got to give you a heads up, man. Things are not going to get better. See, some of you are shocked. What we're going through right now. What's happening? What's happening? My gosh, our country. Oh, my gosh. What's happening? Hey, I, I feel it. I see it. But you know what? Paul warned us. He says, hey, there's going to be terrible times that are on their way. He says, mark it down. And then he gives us like a definition just so we know because some of you are like, that's the last days, brother. Got it. Let me just give you the definition of what Paul said would mark 
the last days and just see if like anything connects maybe with modern culture. People will be lovers of themselves. I'm not there. Definitely not. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Look at this Paul throws in. Disobedient to their parents. I'm going to help you with, with, with your scripture interpretation. This is going to really change your life. When you're reading, especially Paul, as he writes like a succession of events or sins or grievances or compromises, just be, careful. Just be aware of the little things that he throws in. Because we like, we love to, to read and then we attach ourselves to the things that we've heard all our lives. Like sexual immorality, homosexuality, and then he says gossip. In the, in, the, in, the same, in the same sentence. He condemns them all, so no one's justifying. I'm just saying, at the same, if you weigh him on the scale, he says his, that, anyways. This is the one he slips in. Disobedient to their parents. Well, I'm 40 years old, Pastor. I, I, I didn't write it. it Paul did. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without, he says, these, these, this is what's going to happen in the last days. We, we might be there. Without self-control. Brutal. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Have you seen any of this in our culture? Now, this is what I want to key in on. Lover of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I believe this happens to be where the church rests. Because we were sold a bill of goods that says if we serve God, then God's going to give us a good life. That God's going to give us give us this, this peaceful life. We're going to make all kinds of money and everything's going to go our way and all that. And, and Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, hey, guys, it's about to get worse. And we have been taught this. So now when trouble hits us as Christians, we get angry at God because we believe somewhere along the line, if I become a Christian and I serve God, then everything's going to go good for me. But the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So just because I'm a pastor, anointed man of God, does not mean I walk through the rain and above me is a Holy Ghost umbrella and I never get rained on. I live in the same world you do. We live in the same world unbelievers do. So that it's going to be bad. It's going to get worse. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? Be careful when you love pleasure or comfort or peace more than you love God. It says they will have a form of godliness but deny its power. And then Paul, in his gentle way, he says, have nothing to do with them. But we're loving. We're everybody. I didn't write it. Paul said have nothing to do with them. You know what Paul's trying to say? He's trying to say, while you're still weighing, while you're still leaning, while you're still swaying in your conviction, get away. Because that thing is contagious. He does not say don't reach, don't love, don't have unsaved friends, don't have people in your... He's saying, while you're in wavering, it is not the time. Moses, it's not time to deliver Egypt yet, Israel out of Egypt yet, because there's still Egypt in you. So 40 years, 
Moses is out allowing God to beat Egypt out of him before he goes back in and is the light and the deliverer to the Israelite people. A form of godliness, but denying the power. Where is the power? Let me tell you this. A partial gospel is a powerless gospel. If we're only going to preach part of it, a piece of it, some of it, it's a, it's a powerless gospel. It's got to be Jesus is the Savior. It's got to be founded on the Word. And let me help you. Let me, let me just give you, let me give you as we wind down, four, four. You know, you know it's the Holy Ghost when I do four instead of three. I almost deleted one this morning, but I just, I had. I'm going to give you four signs of an unleashed church. Four signs. Number one, this is a sign of an unleashed church. An unleashed church is full of the Holy Spirit. Pastor, that's scary when you say Holy Spirit. You like Holy Ghost better? All of us have associations based on our experiences in the churches or in the movements or in the, the revivals that we've been a part of. Some of us say Holy Spirit. Some of us say Holy Ghost. Some of you think of bodies on the floor and modesty cloths. And some of you, 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 you have, some of you are like, yeah, I got that. Some of you are like, what? It's all right. It's based on your association, based on what you know. But the Holy Spirit, listen to this, was sent by Jesus. This is what Paul said. He said they didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. There is a ton of people that don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper, the Bible says. He's our comforter. He's our teacher. He's our guide. The Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus and is our helper, our counselor, and is available to all who ask. The Holy Spirit's available to all. In fact, in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, this is what Jesus says. He says, hey, guys, it's better for me to leave so that I can send the Holy Spirit. What? You know what I think? I think the Holy Spirit has a branding problem. The Holy Spirit needs a new PR manager because we hear Holy Spirit or we hear Holy Ghost or we hear this and we have this collection of thoughts. Some of it's scary. Some of it's good. Some of us fills us with warmth. Some of us fills, it fills us with fear. But the Holy Spirit, let me just tell you something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not scary. He's not out of control. He's not gone, contrary to some schools of thought. He's not from the devil. Someone, someone asked me that. Like, well, I heard the Holy Spirit was from the devil. The what? <laughs> Jesus says it's better for me to leave so I can send the Holy Spirit sent from the devil? That don't make sense to me. You, guys, you have to read your Bible. You, you, got, you got to read your Bible. You got, to, you got to eat this word. You got to devour this word. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to leave. I'm what? Jesus came in the flesh. One man, one place, one way. Right? Sent the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is with us all. Some of you are like, well, my favorite verse is he will never leave me or forsake me. Guess who will never leave you or forsake you? How does that promise become effective in your life? The Holy Spirit. Because God's up there, and Jesus is at the right hand of God, and it's the Spirit of Jesus that is in our hearts and our minds and speaks to us and moves to us. Charles Spurgeon says, have you then received the Spirit since you believed? Beloved, are you now receiving the Spirit? Are you living under His divine influence? Are you filled with His power? Put the question personally. I'm afraid some professors will have to admit that they hardly know whether there be any Holy Ghost. And others will have to confess that though they have enjoyed a little of his saving work, yet they do not know much of his ennobling and sanctifying 
influence. The Holy Spirit is our helper sent to empower us. The Greek word is paraclete or parakletos. And this is the picture of this word that the Holy Spirit links arm with us. And everywhere we go, he's with us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will teach you, will guide you, will remind you about the things of Jesus. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is your comforter. Are you dealing with pain? Are you overwhelmed? Are you dealing with grief? He's the one who comforts you. He's your helper. Are you feeling inadequate, disqualified, undervalued, not able? He's your helper. And the Bible says in the book of Luke that the same way that we receive salvation is the same way we receive the Holy Spirit. By asking and faith. And we would receive his spirit. Power came on them when the Holy Spirit came on them. I would encourage you just to begin to ask for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want all that you have. I'm asking for your spirit. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but by my. Some of you believe in the Holy Spirit and you don't even know you do. Because you use it, you use it all the time and you're talking about the Holy Spirit. Spirit. An unleashed church is full of the Holy Spirit. Number two, an unleashed church is full of boldness. Paul said that, the, the, our text says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly. An unleashed church is full of boldness. Paul entered a hostile situation with an obstinate people that reviled him, rebuked him, persecuted, and did not accept the message. And Paul continued to preach boldly. Friends, in the church today, we preach the message that works, not the message that he's asked us to preach. When you do not have boldness, you conform to the loudest voices in your life. If a church lacks boldness, they will be forced in the direction of the greatest applied pressure. An unleashed church is full of, full of boldness. It will take boldness to follow God and live according to his word. It will take boldness to speak the truth in love, even when it isn't popular. It will take boldness to be what God has called us to do when people want you to be something different. You've got you've to have a conviction, friend, of who you are and what God's called you to be. And it doesn't matter what's popular or what's persecuted, what's blogged about, what's talked about. When God's called you to be something, when God's called you to do something, you've got to dig your heels in and decide that nothing will shake you and nothing will stop you. We need a church of boldness. Your families, your friend circles, your life, your work, your workplace. We need a church, not just in the four walls, a church of boldness. An unleashed church is full of boldness. An unleashed church is full of faith. It says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I want God to, to do extraordinary miracles through me, through you. That, friends, is a place of faith. The church should be the place of greatest optimism. Not just a place of fr frivolous positivity, but a church of faith. One that believes the word of God with all their heart. One that is not moved by the opinion of man or the current forecast of the world, but believes that God will have the last word. Faith. People of faith. God's called us to be a church of faith. And the opposite of faith is doubt. Fear. Lack of belief. Do you know these things are from the enemy? Fear and doubt, we are in the middle of a fear pandemic right now. 
not just COVID-19, but a fear pandemic of what will happen, what's next, what freedom next, what idea next, what option next, what attack next. We are living in the midst of a fear pandemic. And I'm going to tell you this, fear has to be resisted. James chapter 4 verse 7 says this, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Doubts and fear are from the devil. How do we overpower the devil? We resist him. Have you, have you ever had an urge to steal something? Don't, don't answer out loud. You ever had the urge? You ever had the urge and resisted the urge? Maybe you've been on a diet. Dessert comes by. You have the urge. The temptation looks so good. The chocolate's drizzling off the side. You can smell the aroma. It's still warm with a little bit of cold ice cream on top. So it's just cold and cold and hot. It's like it has two eyes looking at you like, here I am. And you resist. Some of you like, never. <laughs> the same way you resist the dessert or the urge to steal is the same way you resist fear. The problem is we don't see fear as an enemy. We see fear as truth. So I don't have an option to have fear or not because what I'm fearing is actually happening. No, no, no. People of faith believe, have a posture, a position of faith. Well, years ago, Oral Roberts, he's a man of faith, and uh, wrote an incredible uh, book about uh, the seeds, seeds of our faith. And you can say what you want. It's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not into those faith guys. That's cool. Keep on reading your doubt, guys, and enjoy that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying there's, that there's not some differences in theology or differences in how we would teach it or how we would say it. I'm just saying Jesus is the way of salvation. The Bible is the word of God. The rest is minors. People are getting saved. I'm, I'm, I'm praising God. I'm going to fight the devil. Okay, he wrote a book called Seeds of Faith, and he's had three key principles for abundant living. Now listen to this. If you live by this, it'll change your life. Three key principles for abundant living. God is my source. The understanding, God is my source. Everything I need, God is my source. Get it through your head, get it through your heart. God is my source. God is my source. Second one, give that it may be given to you. So this is my posture. God, you're my source. Out of my lack, I'm now going to give. I'm going to give because I'm positioning myself for the miracle. And that's number three. Expect a miracle. Imagine how your life would change. Instead of expecting bad news, instead of expecting the next problem or the next betrayal or the next problem, you expect expecting good things. You would start looking in the mail. You start reading social media. You would start reading your Bible all with a different lens. Instead of what's going to happen next, you would read it with, where's the miracle? Where's where's the miracle? Where's the sign and the wonder? Where is God's breakthrough? Where is God's provision? Where, where, Where is it? That, friends, is exciting living. And the world's tamed us and taught us to stay in our cage, to be quiet, to be silent, to not stand for your convictions or your biblical values. 
or the world will persecute. Who cares if the world persecutes you? You can't silence a voice that God has called. So you can't post on Instagram anymore. So the church can't stream on Facebook anymore. Friends, God has been speaking for generation after generation after generation. You, you, you have to be really careful when you elevate the condition of the world over the prediction or prophecy of God. And when I say that, I'm not talking about you and your favorite prophecy. I'm talking about what's written in the Bible about who wins. Not about your, 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 your political party who wins. I'm talking about actually the final word. There's been nations that have been oppressed in the past. And God's brought great revival. There's been nations that have been persecuted. Churches that have been attacked. And people that have died for their faith. And the gospel has went forward. Guys, here's the good news. It is going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Are we in a fight? Yes. Are we in a battle? Yes. Should we do everything we practically can do? Yes. But I'm going to sit and I'm going to posture myself and I'm going to expect a miracle. Now, this is where, this is where the message gets a little dicey. Y'all ready? I had to save this for the end so I wouldn't have too much time to talk about it. This is where it gets a little, it's going to get a little uncomfortable. An unleashed church is full of the Holy Spirit. An unleashed church is full of boldness. An unleashed church is full of faith. I feel like you're with me on that one. An unleashed church is known in hell. It's no, let me just read it to you because Acts chapter 19, we stopped. But there's a couple more verses that I think might help us. Verse 13, it says, Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Now pay attention to the word. They would say, In the name of Jesus, all good, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. Can you imagine that? Jesus I know, and Paul, I know, but I'm going to add my own word in here. It's a naughty word, but I'm going to say it. Who the heck are you? Jesus, I know. We had some high standards in our home growing up. Okay, you don't, you don't say that. That was a naughty. Put a coin in the jar. Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who the heck are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them. He overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. The scariest question both God and the devil could ever ask you is the same question. The scariest question God and the devil could ever, it's the same exact question. Who are you? If I have a fear... It's that one. That I'm going to fight the devil with everything I am. And the devil's going to say, who are you? You know what was the disconnect? Is the man didn't say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. My Jesus. He said, he tried to use Jesus as a genie in the bottle. As a password, as a, as a magic trick. He says, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. 
That was the problem. That got him beat up that day. I wonder if the church is not being overpowered by the enemy, not because the enemy has more power than the church, but the church is trying to use a name that they don't have relationship with. Friend, when was the last time you were in the presence of God? When was the last time you sought his face? When was the last time you stared into the eyes of Jesus, ate up his word, devoured his promises? When was the last time you were broken before him? When was the last time he moved you? When was the last time your heart beat in sync with his? When was the last time your heart broke with the things that broke yours? We have been, we have been so domesticated. We've been so tamed. We've been so captivated by the world. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God, that we have no power, we have no wonder, we have no amazement. And the day that we stick up against the enemy, the enemy kicks our rear ends because we're using a name that we have no connection with. And I know some of you are like, well, okay, I gotta pray more, I gotta do more. No, friends, this is what it is. Friends with Jesus are feared in hell. You don't got to be some super Christian. You don't have to be some super anointed preacher, missionary. You just got to be a friend of Jesus. We've elevated people, policies, and politics above the person, Jesus. And my job as a pastor is to call us back. Come on. Come on back. Come on back to the feet of Jesus. Stare into his beautiful eyes. Let him break your heart. I got to be honest with you. People have hounded me this last year. I mean, like, probably some of y'all. Make a political statement. Pick a side. Endorse someone. Guys, I'm not a politician. I'm a servant. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. And I got one job. I got one job. It's going to sound harsh at first. Just hold on. I told you to buckle up. It's gonna, I got one job. To tell you, you're both wrong. Democrats, you're wrong. Republicans, you're wrong. Now, before you leave the church, let me finish. Because we've elevated parties above our moral conviction in the Word of God. So I know you're saying, Pastor, tell us what to do. Tell us. No, 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 no. Come here. Come here, come here, come here. Lean in close, lean in close, lean in close. Stare into this word of God. Look at it. Catch his heart. His heart will develop your choices. My job is not to give you your choice. My job is to lead you to the feet of Jesus. And for you to stare into his eyes and be in his presence until he captivates your heart. And then, friends, you're an adult. You do what you need to do, but not from someone else and someone else's influence and someone else's pressure and someone else's agenda, but because you got before Jesus and you devoured this word and you looked at it and you're not picking and choosing. You're, you're not picking it. You're saying, Jesus, above all, I know this is dangerous to say this. I told, I told our staff, I'm like, we might lose some people this week. We might, be, we might be doing opposite church growth this week. But, but Unleashed Church is a church of boldness. And I realized something while I was sick. I want to tell you. I wasn't supposed to tell you, but I'm going to tell you. 
I realized something when I was sick. There's an old illustration I heard years ago about uh, a fish, a type of fish, a species of fish that would eat another species of fish. They'd put them in the tank, they attack them, and they, you know, devour them, eat them up. Bad news, dead. And so the experiment was they put a piece of glass right in the middle of the tank, and they put one species on one side and one on the other, and the other attacking fish would come, and they bang, just bash their heads against that glass. Over and over and over and over. Hit that glass. And then one day, they took out the glass. But because the fish had been trained by pain, even though the glass was no longer there and they could freely go to the other side and devour the fish, they never crossed the line because they'd been trained by pain. Can I help you with something? The enemy tries to train you by pain so you never cross the line. So you stay pinned in, domesticated, tamed, complacent, apathetic, natural living. And if you would just dare, if you would just dare to step across the line, you might find that the pain of 2020 is gone. And if you would just take the step of faith, you could step into a new dimension of living and experiencing God and victory like you never have. Our country's in bad shape. Our nation's in bad shape. But God's got a plan. God's, and he's always used the church. And he's going to use the church again. And it's not because the church did this or did that. It's because the church broke out. Broke out of the pins and broke out of the perspectives and broke out of the ideas. And I know some of you might be feeling like, I don't like the way you said that. I don't like that, Pastor. I know, I know, I know. This is the most sensitive time to ever try to poke your wound. I get it. But it's my job. It's my job. It's my moral conviction. So come on. Come on, come on, come on. Hey, you over here, way over here. This is with my left hand. Yeah, you. Come on. This is my right hand. Yeah, you. Come here, come here, come here. Jesus isn't there. And Jesus isn't there. Jesus is right here. Yep, that looked right, didn't it? I love you. I preach like I do because it burns in my heart. I don't preach for a show. I'm not just super passionate. If you got me outside of here, honestly, I'd rather just be by myself and be quiet. But when I stand in this place and I communicate God's heart, there's something that stirs my heart. Jeremiah said it like this, chapter 20, verse 9. He says, if I don't speak his name any longer, his word is in me like a fire. Like a fire shut up in my bones and I can't keep it in. Friends, his word is in me like a fire. I can't keep it in. But I hear God's heart saying, you don't have to be all this and earn all of this. You just got to be a friend of Jesus. Just be with him. Spend time with him. Get into his word. Be acquainted to him. All you have to do is have victory over fear and doubt. All you have to do is have victory over the enemy is you have to know him and resist. Know him. My connection is what gives me power. Anybody can do it. This isn't a pastor thing. This is a Christian thing. 
You're God's man. You're God's woman. He's called you. He's anointed you. He's appointed you. He sees you. He loves you. He's with you. He's for you. And a church unleashed does not mean church 1132. A church unleashed means a people unleashed. And I believe today, even our next couple minutes together, I believe God's going to do something for you to set you free like you've never been free before. I was describing to Phil, we were walking after the last service, and I said, you know what, the, the training like pain, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like for us, it's kind of like putting on a heavy backpack. And you put that heavy backpack on, and at first, you're good. Come at me. You're good. But after times, like just kind of your back starts getting sore. Maybe you start walking different. You start compensating. And I'm going to tell you this. Today is the day we're taking the backpack off. We're taking a step of faith, and we're making a personal decision. I will be unleashed. I, if you get unleashed, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, then we're going to be a church unleashed. It's not about what we teach. It's not about a mission statement. It's about a group of people that decide, I will not be domesticated. I will not be tamed. Jesus, you're my aim. You're my heart's desire. You are above all. You are the top priority. I'm after you. And everything else flows out of that relationship.